Welcome to the Angler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Angler uh, here in New York City on the morning of Friday, April 7th. Joining me today are Richard Rushfield and Elaine Lowe from L.A. And uh, Elaine and I are ready with a whole new fresh round of scorn for you, Richard. Uh, we apparently had a lot for you last week on Apple and Disney. I didn't know we had so much scorn Never enough. for you. Never enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Richard, of course, did a coming. great piece uh, this week on uh, looking at the Disney and Apple. Uh, well, the not pros and cons, Richard. But I guess what would you just, the the potential of of the deal, right? I mean, the I, I think the uh, meaning of it for me was trying to move the possibility of a Disney Apple merger from the impossible column to the unlikely but possible. So I, I, I announced on Twitter that I give it. Uh, Somewhere six to one, eight to one odds, oh, and odds. I'm I'm okay. ready to do I'm ready to do business at that at at those odds. If anyone wants to step up here, let's get the FanDuel uh, collaboration going on, Richard. I think yeah. we're missing out on some uh, some side action here. Yeah, let's yeah, get yeah, it going. I, I, I I've got I've got uh, forty three dollars here in my <laughs> wallet that I'm ready to ready to back to stake on this prediction. Making All the right, big well. bets. Yeah, Elaine and I want to get some action. We'll get the get the uh, the ongoing action here. The weekly <laughs> podcast update on the uh, the Apple Apple Disney meter. So we'll move that along. But uh, a great read if you haven't checked that out. Uh, so at the Um And in just a little bit, we'll have a special return guest on the pod uh, with Peter Kiefer, who did a great piece uh, centered around the implications for Hollywood executive culture when no one wants to leave anymore, uh, especially at the tops of studios and agencies. So we will uh, dive into all of that with Peter. Uh, but before that, of course, you can always, all, you can, you should, and always follow the Angler at uh, at the Angler on social platforms and sign up to get all Angler newsletters and podcasts at theangler.com over in WGA land. Uh, not a lot of news this week, but they did announce that they're going to be holding a vote among members for uh, strike authorization starting on uh, Tuesday, April 11th through the 17th, Richard, um, which is a not surprising, but I guess a necessary move. Or what was your, you know, what was your reaction to that? I mean, once, once they go for a vote, they can't come back to the members after that and say, uh, thank you for authorizing the strike vote and, and letting us do it. Uh, in the end, they offered us crew jackets and uh, they look really nice. They have the, you can get your name, so we're gonna just we're gonna just take that. Um, the ha- having authorized a vote, they've got to come back with something pretty big to uh, to to show the members why they did this. It's it's a little odd. Uh, someone said that um, they're asking for a vote without telling people what's on the table. Right. Uh, so they're 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 asking people to say like, okay, we're gonna give us the the authorization to uh, push harder without saying at all what what they're pushing harder from it's uh so so some have been a little uh, some have talked to have been a little miffed about that but um every time the wga puts one of these votes to, to their members um they they you know they get something in the upper 80s or 90s of support so you would you expect a, a similar level and then uh the die is really cast because I, nothing nothing says that um that the studios are coming forward with any kind of major concessions right now that it, it all everything i've heard the 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 tokens the the concessions are uh are are small i've heard that one streamer in particular one uh major streaming company that you may have heard of has is uh as has, has has struck a pretty hard line uh in in uh, these negotiations and is not uh 
I, I don't think in the next few weeks is about to change it. So yeah, there you are. Get your get your picket signs ready and your 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 lunch. Get ready to bring lunch to the strikers outside. Uh, walking up and down Melrose. There you go. All right, more to come there for sure. Uh, it's funny, not funny, but I did note. So every day in the wake up, I certainly recount all the deal of the TV series orders and things like that. And you know, this week alone, there were several more eight episode TV series orders. You know that Netflix, Amazon, HBO, Showtime had a six episode TV series order. I'm like, you know, what was the last thirteen episode order uh, series you guys can remember watching? Like, you know, this notion it's, everything is under ten episodes now. There's really nothing that's even over ten anymore. Is my my perception off there? Do you guys? I don't know. It's an interesting thought that popped into my head. Elaine, my is that ringing true in your your ears yeah it definitely feels like we're over indexing toward the eight to ten episode orders like the, the the night agent on uh right uh, is uh, is 10 Netflix. episodes 10 okay. 10 hour long episodes which which seems like um monumental right. at this point it's also a very good show so. oh okay good yeah no that's it's doing amazingly well for the sean ryan show there but uh yeah so you know for again for all these rules that were I mean, forget 22 episodes, you know, built for 13 episodes. They're not they're not doing those either. Um, so it seems like, well, there's things to things to discuss. And as Richard says, I don't know that there's a lot of agreement on uh, that needing to change in terms of the payment structure, because eight episodes if it's per episode. You're only ordering eight. Well, we're going to change what that eight, the price for that eight is or something along those lines could be a, could be the response. Um, and the other big news uh, that came out on on sunday night and came on monday morning was of course uh well essentially the wwe and ufc merging or you could say endeavor uh made a deal for the wwe or merged the wwe um which you know uh makes a lot of sense we've talked i've read a lot about it this week in the wake up richard anything on your ends and uh, your conversations this week of notes that was uh stood out to you about this um, well, I'm, I'm of course a big fan of, uh, both wrestling and, and, uh, ultimate, <laughs> Not as, a fan, uh, as a business person, but I know you want yeah. to talk all about your favorite yeah, no. for your implications for your, your, uh, your, your fan card collection, but, uh, you know, yeah, no, I, 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 I feel like it, it, it the, uh, the, the 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 reaper is he is is he in the championship this year i i feel like this will uh I'll go with that. but but beyond that uh, i i had a i had i had a friend suggest that um you combine these two uh, these two things on one streaming service and you've got the 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 bones of a really uh powerhouse sort of middle american middle of the road um streamer and you start you start if you start <clears throat> adding some programming to it it's amazing original program you could really have a very dominant um uh streamer targeting targeting that uh that that middle america that almost nobody seems to want to go out after so um there's a lot of potential there a lot of a lot of pitfalls in starting a new service also oh yeah from its own yes exactly and i think you know uh and as i wrote about in the wake up story you know endeavors what they're good at is selling, selling rights. So for them to bring it, you know, in house or or do their own thing with it would be like, well, that's not really what their expertise is in running services to and doing bidding wars and do these kinds. Of, they're the best, you know, the experts at it. So it would. But it's interesting that it's going to become a separate company. So, so right, and it's exactly maybe it'll, maybe it'll be a separate company under a new kind of management or 
Well, they, well, they essentially put all the <laughs> everybody's now doing two jobs in Endeavor. So it was like uh, this so and so, you know, Ari's CEO of both companies. Uh, you know, there's different uh, the, the you know the, the reporting structure isn't that separated, Richard, uh, from the company. And just for the record, Endeavor owns 51 percent of the new the new company, which doesn't have a name yet, and trades under the the ticker TKO. Um, and uh, WWE shareholders, including Vince in that category, Vince McMahon has a 49% stake and Vince has no stake in Endeavor as a company. His, you know, uh, equity is all still in that, the new company. So uh, we shall see what transpires that uh, is projected to close by year's end. There's still room for another bidder to come in, but it's hard to see someone else making a, a better case for this, Richard. I mean, we, we, we said this, excuse <clears throat> me, uh, we said this a few weeks ago, but say again, when, when the, um, Endeavor IPO first happened and, 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 and seemed a little underwhelming. And even when the first one did, I mean, people, I mean, I read a lot of obituaries of Endeavor, uh, oh, right here. Mean, you could find them on people, the internet. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people saying that this, this new configuration, it would never, could never work. It will never pay off. It, it's, uh, this company was, was just going to be hemorrhaging and, and until in a death spiral already. And they seem pretty, uh, Undeath spirally at this point. <laughs> that's yeah. That's one one spin I haven't heard from it, but that's yeah. No, it's exactly right. I think people are having to wrap their head heads around that, whether they want to or not. You know, the the numbers are the numbers. Um, and even Ari has alluded has to many sleepless nights there at that time. You're alluding to Richard back in right after the you know they went public or and they tried to go public for a while that didn't go well. I mean, that was a long period there where you know there was a lot of tumult going on and. Uh, it has landed at a place where they've been got the numbers going the right direction, and now we're able to do a deal like this. And then seeing this, how does CAA not follow them down this well, IPO now path? Uh, the bar is set, so here's a model of like you know again, and, and that's like Endeavor turned what they do best, and it's like selling rights, and that's essentially what IMG they you know run the Miami Open, they do you know these other things, and William Morris is obviously steeped in that. Uh, even their sports tech, they license out to folks. It's, you know, they run a business, but the core of the money-making aspect is in making deals with other companies to use what they own. Um, and that's how the, the revenue growth is going to come from. And that's exactly what sports rights is to a T. And the WWE was the only other, you know, feasible <laughs> league or anything out there that would have fallen into that category. Um, and combine it with UFC, which is that great growth and, um, and they're big global properties, Richard, and that's a big thing that they emphasize as well. Uh, is the global scale? It's not just about you know the U.S. So um, Ari's got a lot up his sleeve, you know, <laughs> put it that way. Now he has two CEO titles, so maybe he gets a a new set of business cards. We'll we'll find out. <laughs> um, but Elaine, the other uh, you know kind of big story getting a lot of oxygen around town this week certainly was a, a report in the Hollywood Reporter on Amazon. Or look at Amazon Studios, um, and I guess. Two main takeaways of it being uh, confusion around town in terms of what Amazon is looking to be known for programming wise and even kind of who to talk to there. Uh, And I know you've reported on this uh, at your previous uh, employer over at Insider. So what was your take? And, uh, you know, uh, give me your your opinion on this. We haven't haven't talked about this yet. Yeah, I mean, it aligns the story aligned with a lot of what uh, my my colleague, my then colleague at Insider, Lucia Moses, and I had found then, which is that people don't really think of 
Amazon as having a particular brand of show. They've certainly had some big successes, right? Um, you know, when you look at Jack Reacher, Jack Ryan, uh, you know, the terminal list, there's definitely, as one person has put it to me, sort of an elevated broadcast appeal. And that's something that also translates globally, which is important for a streamer that has such a large international reach. Um, but they're not they don't really have a brand identity out of outside of that that they've formed and that is where some of the criticism comes from also just with the way that they've restructured internally uh you know they're still sort of working out they're still smoothing out some things and that's created some confusion within the creative community it seems like um i mean i thought the most interesting piece of that story was really the completion rate which i mean you know the thing about these streamers right is we're all so hungry for any kind of data right that it's like okay give me give me like give me a nugget right and like that was a really good one um so to know, be clear that, so with lord of the rings the completion rate yes. in the u.s was i think 37 percent of people so, finished yeah. lord of the rings and 45 percent internationally finished the series was the number right that, right, that, right. That said, it's uh, that's that's an interesting, a very interesting statistic. Without knowing um, the context at Amazon, it's it's we, we don't know is that is that a good number for Amazon? Is that a bad number <laughs> right, for Amazon? No comp, is that right. is that a good number for the streaming world in general? It's uh, I mean it it sounds bad, but but you know maybe the typical completion rate is ten percent for all I know. Right, which is what's so annoying about this, right? Like, you look at Netflix, and they're just like, here's how many people have watched the first two minutes of this show, or whatever that old metric used to be. Right. Um, so it's hard to make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison with any of this. But on the face of it, it 37%, if the if you have X number of people who started, and I think they said, what, it was over 100 million households or something that had started it, and only 37% have taken it all the way to completion on what a eight-episode series that had so much buzz about it like is that does that sound you know on the surface like a like a good thing going into season two which i'm sure is you know very expensive as well which they're, they're filming right now um so i yeah I, I i i think it's hard to sort of say but i know that internally at the studio uh from what i understand it's being seen as a success but um you know i think i think those optics are, are a little different outside yeah, I mean, a, a, a thing that occurred to me reading reading the piece is that you could have changed changed the names of the people involved, and it would have applied to every single streaming division of every. That that where which is the streaming division that is not in total disarray right now, uh, because nobody could because you have a whole sector of the Hollywood economy that. Nobody knows how it's supposed to work, and nobody knows what the economics are of it are. So that creates confusion. And you know, I mean, with Amazon in particular, it's like if, if is Jen Salky doing a bad job? It's kind of like bad at what? Like for all we know, the whole point of Amazon is just like beta testing the the page load or something, and uh, that she's she's doing great here. So more to come uh, in that regard. But uh, I think that. <laughs> Executive turmoil uh, is a good segue to Peter Kiefer, who's uh, <laughs> been tracking that 
No one. Some people don't leave Hollywood. Uh, hello, Peter. Nice to see you. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, Peter. Thanks for joining us. Uh, <laughs> last time was Hawaii. This time, uh, you're, are you in France right now? Is, it, is that was that correct? I am. I am. It's it's slightly. Uh, how much are we paying you? The, the, the anchor there, <laughs> and how can I get a cut of this? Because uh, clearly, I'm doing it all wrong. I know it's it's just not reflective of my normal lifestyle. I promise. Uh, we we <laughs> we we scheduled a, a a bunch of travel at uh, one of the weirdest inopportune times because we have um. Uh, two young children but yes i'm i'm in uh i'm in the south of france it's lovely but i'm I'm happy to join you guys so i guess you know your piece this week looked at you know uh the what an alternate the old white guys won't leave uh, was that an alt title for your piece uh this is kind of the the notion that uh, looking around that a lot of people are staying around in hollywood a, a lot longer so why don't you just, you know set the piece for folks and I'm, and I'm curious kind of what spurred you to kind of you know take this topic on yeah, I mean it's yeah, very simple premise, and actually one that uh, Richard uh, has brought up uh, multiple times in in his columns. And, and I felt um, it was a, a, a opportune time to do a sort of deep dive into um, why the the landscape of the industry looked to be so much older right now uh, than in previous eras. And what kind of sparked the idea was when I started to see. Um, some of these new companies breaking off, um, some of these up and coming agents uh, and lawyers were uh, working at these legacy um, uh, the corporations and, and, and law firms, and they were starting to splinter off and, and they were bringing some of people who were of, of my era, sort of the Gen Xers, and they were starting their own outfits. And I reached out to a few of them just to see if there was any sort of a trend here. And they, they all kind of told me the same thing, which was that, look, we were we had good jobs. We were happy in our places. But it, we just got the sense that it was this we 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 were tired of, of being told that we were going to be running this place and having that 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 be delayed repeatedly. So it felt to them in many ways that they were never going to be handed the keys. Uh, so that was sort of. The idea, there was a three of them. Range Media was the one I cited. There was this, uh, and two other law firms, JSSSK and uh, Burke Brettler were the ones I mentioned. Um, and there's more of them, but, um, and I'm, I predict there will be more. But so I just, that was the, that was the launch point. And, I, you know, it was the, the, the idea here was to try and sort of explore the ramifications of this and sort of try to understand why this is happening now. Yeah, and it's also just a separate field in publicity right now. <laughs> the amount of people there used to be what three or four major PR firms, and I mean now there's you know I can maybe you know ten to twelve all with major you know major client lists. So that that's another field that people, for various reasons, felt the need to go and be more entrepreneurial about it. But um, it just feels like the culture maybe had more of that earlier or bigger. You know, when when Endeavor was created, it was a, it wasn't just breaking off to start a you know, a law firm or a small management company. It was like, no, we're going to compete against you. Um, that era seems to be, be, be a little bit, does the industry has gotten too big at that point? And that's, that's part of the, the calcification a bit, Peter, do you think? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, the explanations that I came up with um, were, were, were varied, but um, some, some of it had to do with the consolidation that's gone on in the industry um, over the past, you know, two, two and a half decades. Um and but the second one, which um, was, you know, most makes the most sense is that people are just working longer now. Um, people are working into their 60s and, and their 70s. And that's a good thing. Um, and I think people should be sure, entitled to sure. They're living. People are living longer. We're living healthier lives. 
they're they want to they want to stay active and they, they and they should they're entitled to to a degree but if they're going to stay around longer they're going to have to deal with the fact that people below them are going to break off and start their own competitive entities um right. so, so that was that was the second one and then the third one which um was sort of probably the most troubling of the explanations was that the industry right now there's a real sense of insecurity um and that was sort of triggered and brought on by the streaming era and there's just a lot of concern and distress about what the future holds and i think that two things happen in those instances one the, you, people revert back to the to the to the um, to the leadership that they've had in the past. They don't, it's, it's not a moment in time when you want to take a gamble on somebody who hasn't been around or who isn't a part of the inner circles of the industry or who's some form of an outsider. When, 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 the, you know, when there's a storm, you, 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 you turn to an old, you know, the steady captain who's been at the helm before. And I think that that's a large part of what we're seeing right now is that, and I had a, a quote, I interviewed an inter, a, a former top executive at a studio. And he said, it's not a youthful moment right now, because at the very least, uh, the, the the boards of these companies, they want people who at least know the mistakes that can be made. And I think that that really sums up in, in a nice, just like capsulation of a quote of, of what the general sentiment is as to why, you know, people are just sticking around and why people are turning to the same people as the Bob Iger's, you know, the, the Brian Lords, the Ari Emanuel's, and they, they're, they're, these are smart, like successful business people, and but I, I think that the reason why they're sticking around longer is 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 a function of all those things that I just mentioned. I th- and I I think that's the uh, the the problem here. One wonderful piece, Peter, and everyone should should read it. Um, and and bonjour there. From, oh. uh, the uh, the but uh, the. When so in tough times, people fall back on their com- comfort zone, and these companies have gotten so big, including the agencies and everything, that it's that that uh, it can get very scare- scary right right now, especially with 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 all that's at stake. Um, the problem is that entertainment doesn't work from the comfort zone. That the next the next big hit is going to be something that's a surprise and something that's different and something that 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 shakes people out of their comfort zone and you're not going to while you're you're playing it safe with the same old and you know you talk about the likelihood of people in their 60s versus uh people in their in their 20s of, of finding what's the the next big thing that's going to capture the nat- the uh the the world zeitgeist also and so you if you play if in entertainment you play to your comfort zone you are you are affirming a narrative of decline because you will not grow your audience from your, from, from your comfort zone. You will, you will preside over, over, uh, over decline there. Yeah. Elaine, but in reading, you've had all your conversations you had, what rang true to you or, or uh, what thoughts came to mind when, when you were uh, reading Peter's reporting? You know, it's funny, Peter, something you touched on just now, I'm curious what your thoughts are on them. When you said that, you know, these the older gen, basically, if they're going to continue to keep in their seats of power, then they need to be OK with people splintering off and forming their own, uh, you know, their own banners, basically. Um, you know, I'm curious whether you you know what your take is on on how successful a lot of these these smaller banners are. I think we've seen some really, uh, you know, when you when you look at range and some of these other folks, there have definitely been some recent successes. But it's like, does that give the next gen a, a, a real fighting chance here? 
You know, it's funny when I when I was reporting the piece out, I, I, I reached out to the, the individuals that I'd spoken to a while back. And um, as far as how they're doing, none of them wanted to go on the record <laughs> because they were wor- <laughs> they were very worried about the optics of it all. Uh, and they were very worried about, you know, uh, it angering their former employers who are extremely powerful entities and. There is a there is a, a there's these dominant players. And so how these individuals are doing, I, I mentioned that only because I think there's there's some trep- trepidation out there for their future. They they were just uh, they were like, look, we don't we don't we don't want to poke the bear here. We just we, we just want to build something on our own. And and just kind of, we you know, we're, we're, we respect we respectfully decline uh, to, to comment. Um, so how they're doing i you know it's it's hard to answer that question because there's so much turmoil across the industry right now um and you know in 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 safer waters how would they be doing would they be doing much better i i, I don't know it, it it's it's again it's it's just I, I think that you you look at like a range and i from, from what i can tell they look to be doing quite well um you know the the law firms I know less about, but from what, everything I've heard and read, JSSSK is these guys are are extremely talented uh, uh, lawyers. They, they they brought real talent, and I, I, from what I can tell, they're doing big deals and they have an excellent client list. and And then as far as Burke Brettler goes, I know they're dealing with some some really high profile cases. Um, but you know, I, I they're they're going up against titans and they're going up against people who um, who have built relationships over decades. And that was the point that also I brought up in the piece was I made a, a section of it was dedicated to sort of analyzing the difference between Silicon Valley and Hollywood. And one thing I just wanted to make clear in the story was that Hollywood's about relationships and, and you can't you, you can't substitute that. And, and that just takes time. So to, to build the relationships, to become a great studio executive, or to be, be a great lawyer, or to become a great agent or manager, it just takes time. So you, so by the time you, when you get to your forties, you're starting to get, you're starting to get the sense of things you have, you have the confidence, you have the relationships. And that's when you're starting to like, start, start to cook for you. It's very hard to, you know, one thing that Janice and I discussed during the editing process is we used to use the word wonderkind all the time in this industry. In the, in the nineties, it was, I swear to God, you read the trades, wonderkind was in every other story. And yeah. that's just not the case right now. And which, uh, which is, was just one more data point we wanted to bring up. And anyways, I think, I think it's a, just a confluence of, of forces and factors that have led to this, this moment. And, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, and, and cause it's, it's the reverse ageism is what my friend was, was telling me. They're like, and we wanted to be very sensitive to that in the piece. And I think we were, we're not trying to say you guys, you're too old, you know, it's time to, you know, time to retire to, to Boca Raton or wherever you go. But uh, it's it's but the, it's just it's just a very sort of conceptual scoop that was staring at me. And I think ultimately it landed because I got a ton again, a, a, a huge amount of response. And thankfully, most of it was positive. <laughs> uh, yeah, just but that Wonderkin notion is interesting, Peter. And one thought that after reading your piece that came into my mind is, you know, yeah, like what you know, we're talking about Mike DeLuca's, uh, you know, the, the you know, Jay Maloney's and people of that era of the, that nineties that were kind of the up and comers. And even you mentioned Barry Diller and Katzenberg and the guys in the eighties, certainly, you know, and it's just where the business is at where back then it was largely U S based business. And you're talking you know, about studio jobs or agency jobs, but the studio jobs, 
your job was picking hits for the U.S. Like that was primarily what you're doing. And that uh, uh, someone in their mid to late thirties could probably really do that, and did did do that very well. And the well, agencies, the agencies sorry. you were signing signing clients, that was all uh, right. And you were still poaching clients, things like you know whatever exactly whatever that might be. The representation uh, business was was all there was to. Agency, right, but that's basically. all the company did was represent Clyde. They weren't owning sports leagues and doing, they weren't conglomerates and having private equity money and you know yeah it was, it was all that was not there yet. Where everything we everything we just mentioned is much more complex than someone. And to your point, Richard about it, uh, Peter about it, experience, it's going to take you longer to understand how this all works and have those relationships not just in the U.S. but in India and you know and all these markets in the U.K. and the, around the world where. You know, uh, uh, Bella Bella's piece in the New Yorker, her whole piece was I'm flying around where she was building that global experience, you know. And uh, so I think that the job has also changed to a bit, Peter, where it's not just about greenlighting the next uh, Timothy Chalamet movie. It's like, no, you got to have a plan for, as we talked about Netflix, or it's a global business. What, what's your plan for Latin America? What's your plan for, you know, uh, APAC, et cetera, where... Is the job complexity a factor here, Peter, do you think as well as where the business is at? For sure, for sure. And that was a, a point that was brought up when I interviewed um, Stephen Galloway uh, of Chapman. And and, and and I think he's right. He has he has a point. The stakes are so much higher. The, the amount of the, the sums of money that you're talking about are just extraordinary now. And then, you know, I, I, I would I would I would point to, yes, it's, it's an international marketplace. But especially at this moment in time, I mean, you look what happened to, to Bob Chapek. And who he got when Disney got pulled, dragged into this culture war, and he wasn't—he probably wasn't prepped for that. He didn't—he he, that was something that that was just sprung on him, and it was—it was a booby trap, and he walked right into it. And yeah. I think ultimately that was something that 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 that, that you, you, no one prepped Bob Chapek for this this war with DeSantis, and so that's just that's just a very clear and obvious example of the complexities that come with these jobs especially at this moment in time, putting aside, you know, the international nature, which you brought up, which is totally relevant, uh, you know, understanding the cultural sensitivities about, you know, launching a product in China or, or, or in the Middle East or in these places. Yeah, it, it is. And, 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 and again, these, your mistakes are, are just so there's, there's so many more opportunities for huge mistakes. And, and the, the, again, I go back to this, the amount of money that's being swirled around right now, and you're, you're under a, a, a magnifying glass and so, yes, I, I, I really do think uh, the, 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 the job is so much more complex. But I think Richard made made a very, very salient point, which is that th- this industry, like the, the people that come along and save it are the outsiders that bring new ideas. And that it just hasn't been a winning recipe is to turn to the old guard who have got us to this to this place where we are now. It just it, it, it's it's just not it's, if you just understand the history of the industry it's just not a winning recipe in the long term. So I don't know. We'll we'll have to see how the whole thing shakes out. I want to go back to this idea of the Wunderkin, Peter. I wonder what your take is on why that was something that was able to flourish back then and and now seems to be less so. Um, you know, aside from people actually holding on to their seats of power. And I wanna I wanna fight you on this line, Peter. Um <laughs> <laughs> at the bottom of your story, your very excellent story. You mentioned that the whole, quote, the whole notion of what ambition looks like has dramatically changed over the past two decades. For some millennials and members of Gen Z being overly ambitious, especially within a rigid hierarchical system like a corporation, can be deemed cringy and hostile. Like, I'm, 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 I'm very curious what the uh, 
what the millennials and Gen Zs were were giving you that that sort of created that that impression. I mean, I I, I there were studies that I could have hyperlinked to. I, I'm not making that up. I promise. I, but I didn't I didn't do my own I didn't do my own personal survey. So I hope you didn't take offense to it. Nor do I think. Nor do I necessarily like think that's wrong. I don't think. I, I, the the point of bringing that up wasn't to cast judgment um, on on the the the, the youth. Um, it was just to bring up the idea that you know th- th- their value system may have shifted a little bit, and so they may not be wanting to gun for these extremely high pressure jobs where you have to have you know you might have to bring out you know bring a bring a gun to a knife fight. Everyone they may just you know and and, and so that that's why I brought that up. But as far as the, the the wonder can goes, I think the answer the best answer I have to that is that there was so much more money sloshing around in in the nineties. You know you had these amazing revenue streams that allowed people to take gambles um, back then, because there was just so much more of, of a pecuniary cushion for, for, for the, for the industry. And if you screwed up, it was okay. It was going to, it was because there was so much money pouring in from the revenue streams that just don't, they aren't existing anymore. They, they, they've gone extinct. So that's, that's the best explanation I have. And maybe Richard has an idea why the wonderkind has gone extinct. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right that the the companies have gotten too big. They're uh, they're too cautious. It's it's they they don't want to take chances. Um, the whole point of, I mean, you don't you don't hire you don't put 25 year olds in charge. So they'll make the same decision as as 68 year olds would. You you put them in charge because they're going to do different things. But I think ultimately, the fact of the matter is, entertainment will be won by the the young in any medium. It it, it is young the the it, it it belongs to the young, the young win it. Unfortunately, uh, because I'm not, uh, I, I'm not just out of high school myself, uh, but um, it it will either be in the hands of people who, um, who 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 turn their companies over to young people, or who who truly empower and take chances on 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 young people, because that's that's where the the viewing is and. The one thing that we know that people are not going to want to watch next year is what they watch this year. Um, there, there's a certain there's a certain uh, appetite for uh, for sameness, but the biggest appetite in entertainment is for something different and something and novelty, uniqueness, something you've never seen. And what's 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 the next uh, the, the the you know the next hit will will not look like the last hit. Right. I want to run out with just one additional thought that I had here was how much or the influence of, I'm going to call it startup culture, or Silicon Valley, whatever you want to call it, in the larger American society, not just in Hollywood, how much is the influence of that permeating now where back when Ari left you know, to start Endeavor, he had to start an agency because that was the only other business to do. Where now, with all the companies you mentioned, all the companies, but some of them, the production and you know the the money to make money in Hollywood, you don't just have to run a studio or run an agency. It's like you can you'll probably make more money starting your own company and selling it to somebody else. I'm talking about the Hello Sunshines, the macros who just got a light of a ninety or hundred millions of dollars in investment to the Spring Hills to all these other companies where where your options may not be oh I'm going to go start a rival to the company I'm at, but more do something else in the ecosystem that I own that 
can make me a lot of money, you know, and I'm happy doing it where before in the nineties and eighties, there wasn't a lot of options. You either worked first a network, a studio, an agency The you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, diversity in the ecosystem, even in a management company, you know, I mean, Brillstein was kind of it's like setting the, the path or whatever it might be. There wasn't, there wasn't 10 of them. There was two of them or now you can go off and that's where all the agencies are. Agents seem to be going into that, that field where how much of that is kind of like a diversity of mindset where it's not the dream and maybe I'll, I'll I'll toss this as the Gen Xer Gen Xer here to my millennial counterpoint here, where it's like, yeah, I'm very happy going out and doing my own thing, and I don't need to be, you know, working at this company for 25 years to become the EVP of something. I'd rather go do this. Is that you know that that ideology from Silicon Valley permeating Hollywood in, in that fashion, Elaine? Is that something that maybe also a part of this, or is that me being an old Gen Xer? I mean, I think speaking as the Ankler's resident millennial here, um, <laughs> I, it's it's that that line struck me as interesting, Peter, um, because it's like I I do wonder what how much of it is just sort of the institutional forces that are are preventing millennials who, by the way, like we're we're approaching middle age as much as I hate to admit it, like the oldest of us are are approaching you know forty ish, and it's uh and Gen and Gen yeah. X is so excited to see. Uh... All of your 2000s nostalgia coming in, we're all laughing at it. Yes, exactly. Um, But it's like, look, like this, this is a cohort, right? And I mean, I speak from personal experience. This is a cohort. We graduated into the Great Recession, right? Like things were not set up very well for us in our 20s. And then you work and you work and you work and you can't, it's just, it feels futile. It feels hard to get any place. And so I, I, I wonder, I could believe that Gen Zs have a different mindset. I've certainly heard that and seen that. Uh, in terms of what they expect from a company, they expect more corporate social responsibility. They expect all these other things. But you know, for millennials, I I, I just wonder if it's how much of it is just being sort of stuck in a in a in a tough place, you know, generationally, where you came up where it was very hard to to climb the ranks, and now we're at a spot where the 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 top of the mountain is refusing to budge. Um, so you know, I just sort of wonder what what component that you know plays. Yeah. No, no, I think you're right. And I, I remember, I, I, and I called you. We had a nice long chat before. I, was like, I wanted to make. And then I said, come on the pod, let's fight. <laughs> this is how millennials do it. We do it on podcasts. You know? I know. I, uh, I definitely was like, okay, I don't, I don't, I, I was very worried about angering all sorts of generation, every generation possible. So I was check. I checked in with Elaine. Uh, but no, I think you're right. <laughs> and the point of adding that line, honestly, I, it wasn't to take a shot at him. And I think you're right. My, I, I, my, I have younger siblings who are of that generation. And I think that there was, there's some, you, you make some very strong arguments as to, you know, the, 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 the unfortunate circumstances that they entered the job markets under. And, um, and I think that that, that the timing of the streaming era, I go back to that. And I, and also, I think that the fact that you do have to just, there's no, there's no escaping it in, in Silicon Valley, you can sort of come in with an idea, if you have the sort of the skills and the chutzpah to do it, and you can you can make a name very quickly. It's just really hard to do that in in an industry where the the main currency is are the relationships you have, and also the the confidence you have to ultimately build internally to make the decisions, all the creative decisions that that go into your day to day job. It's just it it, it's, it takes a really like a Mike Mike DeLuca is at twenty seven. They don't come along very often. And so I, 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 I brought him up because he was a real unique, special talent. And I think he still is. Uh, but you yeah. just those type of people just don't come along very often. Yeah. 
Good points, Peter. There's a lot more to check out. Uh, highly recommend go check it out at theangler.com. Uh, Peter, thanks for, for joining us from Au Francais. Go enjoy your baguette or whatever you're doing today. I don't know what's on the agenda, but I'm sure it's better than whatever I'm doing. Yeah. So uh, good to see you, and uh, thanks as always for joining us. Uh, thank you guys very much. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir, Peter. All right. Well, that's about it for this week. Speaking of uh, the kids, we have Super Mario Brothers. Richard, your thumbs up on this one. Is that right? In the yeah, very. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it's a quick ninety minutes. Uh, they 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 pack it full of laughs. Uh, the the critics are very split. I mean, there's nothing there's there's nothing more uh, as funny as the movie is. Reading middle aged critics uh, <laughs> opining about children's movies and and how funny children's movies are is uh, probably even more amusing. But um, the. Uh, it was a lot of it was the the eleven year olds that I saw it with were very extremely pleased and um, I I predict uh, I predict they'll do all right here. Uh, the, the the indications so far seem to be as such. Elaine, will you be enjoying the uh, vocal stylings of Chris Pratt this weekend, or uh, are you a little too young for your demographic, or what's going on? Too young for my demographic. You know, they actually have a very limited awareness of Mario, which I think is kind of interesting when you look at these titles, right? It's like how much of it is a nostalgia play for the adults True. versus bringing in kids who aren't old enough to play Mario Kart yet. But uh, I feel like this is one we're going to catch. We're going to catch on streaming. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, it's, it's I, be... I, I, I'd like to make a prediction that uh, before April is over, Elaine will be seeing Super Mario in the theater with her children. <laughs> I like it. Let's Intrigue. See. Stay tuned. All right. Well, I'm, I'm making a note on my and my uh, outline here for the last podcast of, uh, of April. So uh, we'll <laughs> okay. keep an eye out on that one. Uh, note the first family film since puss in boots like four and, months and, and the next Nuts. one is like is i mean they have two two or three months behind this clear don't they i mean you could argue little mermaid i guess maybe the next but even that's you know I don't and know when is that that's that's memorial day so that's another two months so you know yeah no this dearth of family films is i write about it every week in the in the every week but often in the in the, the box office reports i do in the wake up and i'm just like and they they had the legs on Richard and I. You we'll get to this topic another time. The legs on these movies is you know some is great because there's just no competition for anything else anymore. But before you'd have you know the people vying for this for this business, and now it seems like they're ignoring it. It's 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 fascinating. Well, it's interesting um, because I mean it takes so long to make these movies. That right. The 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 children's talking about the the COVID the post COVID atmosphere. The, right. The children's movies that we're seeing and the family movies we're seeing now were all production began on them pre-covid wait well pre-covid uh right. so it's it it's uh it's very hard to uh turn the battleship on those things. yeah but it's also interesting that was the movie you, the one genre you could produce in covid and they didn't really <laughs> seemingly do that so yeah. uh anyway we will uh i'll have all the numbers from that dungeons and dragons week two and all the other uh john wick week three i guess uh and the wake up on monday morning i'll be the uh resident Gen X from the group and watching the Masters and maybe seeing Air this weekend. So I'm going to rep the other side, other side of the coin. Um, as always, thanks for listening, everybody. You can, of course, follow us uh, at The Ankler on the socials and subscribe at theankler.com. And uh, we'll see you next week.